My Wax Museum is a proud member of the Create Fine and is produced by Mecco Radio. Hey guys, Alex here just popping in before we get into today's show to recommend to you another podcast. Yes, that's right. Broken Bulbs is another show that I host and produce, and it is a fantastic lesson. We talk to interesting people and hear about their failures. It's a really fun show. We are beyond episode 100 now, and it's been a great time and can't wait for more. So if you want to listen to that, you can tune in wherever you're listening to your podcast right now. Again, that is Broken Bulbs. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I am joined by Colleen Thomas. Colleen tells us about getting to hang out with older college kids growing up, finding her creative loves, and her self-marriage, which is a concept I absolutely love. We're going to get into that more in the show. And remember, after today's show, to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Colleen Thomas, welcome to My Wax Museum. Alex, it's so good to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I am delighted to have you here. Uh, it's it, it. We had such a good conversation last time we spoke, and so I was really looking forward to this all day. This was kind of my like, oh yeah, and this afternoon I get to chat with Colleen again and hear more about your story, which, which is going to be really interesting to get into. Uh, like I mentioned to you before I hit record, I like to start off with how we know each other. So would you mind filling in the audience how we got in touch? Sure. We met each other through the Podcast Academy pretty recently, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, uh, just like a month ago, we had a meeting. And I've, I've had a few people from the Podcast Academy on the podcast now. So it's exciting to get that, I don't know, get that podcasting world. I think I mentioned to you last time how you can kind of follow along, see how I know each person in each episode and, and say, oh, he was living there at that time. You know, you can kind of follow, follow where I go. Um, but with that, let's, let's look at where you've been. Where did Colleen start? Where were you born? I was born outside of Cleveland. And um, we only lived there for a year till I was about a year old. And my dad, I think, had a job in Buffalo, New York, well, he got transferred a lot. He was a corporate um, uh, international business guy. And um, so he was working, I don't know, well, I guess he was with GE for years. And so I, he was probably with GE when when I was born. Yeah, he must have been when I was born in Cleveland. My parents had just come back from Europe. They had lived in Italy and Switzerland for years. And they just happened to get to Ohio when, <laughs> when I was born. And I always felt a little bit sad about that, that I could have had, you know, some kind of international experience, but I didn't. <laughs> That that is so fascinating. I I I would feel ripped off too. I know I have <laughs> I have friends who have older siblings who were born in another country, and then they're all born, you know, in Canada or just the U.S. or something, and they're like, I got ripped off. Like I was so close, if you, just a little exactly. sooner, man. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, that sounds like a really. I mean, ju- just kind of hearing that your your parents were living in Switzerland and Italy, like that's. That's an interesting experience on its own to to kind of have that have that connection. So then you mentioned that you only lived in or near Cleveland for a little bit, right? Like till you were one. Right, exactly. My father had gotten a job 
someplace else. I thought it was Buffalo, New York, but now that doesn't make sense because we didn't go to Buffalo, New York. But um, my mother would probably have to fill you in on the details of all that story. But anyway, what I experienced uh, was that when I was a year old, we moved to Kentucky outside of Louisville. Again, because my dad was with GE and Appliance Park was in Louisville, was based there. So that's where I grew up for about eight years um, in a really tiny town outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And then when I was nine, we moved to Connecticut, again, job related, um, which was like total culture shock. You know, I had the Southern accent and suddenly I'm in Connecticut and everybody was pretty kind, but I got a lot of, in the beginning, I got a lot of, you know, grief for being the, you know, the hit kid. Um, and then, and then I became very New Englandified and a bit of a snob. And I was really, it was the eighties and I was very into pink and green, you know, preppy was the thing. And right. And then we moved back to Ohio and then I was this snobby girl, you know, <laughs> from the East Coast. <laughs> There's no winning. <laughs> no. <laughs> That is so interesting. Okay, so go down to Kentucky, you pick up an accent, you head up to New England, and you pick up their habits. The <laughs> yeah. That is that is so interesting. You're actually, I think, the second person on here to gain a southern accent and then drop it later on for, you know, for appearances or just kind of grow out of it for whatever reason. So Okay, this is interesting. Do you have a favorite place? Because that's a you know that's a little bit traveling around. Do you have a favorite place that you lived? I think well, my family settled in Worcester, Ohio, which is outside of Cleveland, um, and that's wonderful. I love it. My mom's still there. I, I love Worcester, um, but I I really miss New England when we left New England. So I would say, um, although I I feel really. I don't know, blessed that we got to move around so much because I got to experience so many different sort of subcultures within the U.S. and sort of find out more about myself. And I think at heart, I am like an Ohio person. I live in California now, and I feel like I'm definitely one of those Midwest expats, you know, like we find each other very quickly out here. And um, but I have that New England sort of sparkle, too, you know, so like I love all of it. And I guess what I'm saying is, I think New England was my favorite place, but I'm also glad I didn't end up staying there. Interesting. Okay, what was it that you loved about New England so much? What, what, you know, made you miss it when you left? I think it was mostly the the history. Um, and, and a lot of that, you know, now that I'm learning more was a lot of the myth that were sold about white America and the beginning of the U.S. and, you know, the sanctity of, you know, all the white people. Um, so it's definitely called into question for me now. But I was at the age when I was there when um, that history was really alive for me. You know, the, the Revolutionary War, we lived in a, a house um, that was, uh, had been built by a Revolutionary War hero and Lafayette had stayed there. And my mom would come and lie on my bed, which was the old bedroom, the old master bedroom in the house with this really low ceiling and these really cool like door latches and light switches and stuff. And she would lay on my bed and say, just think, Colleen. And it was, if, when I was 10, I hated it. I thought it was very boring. But um, but I, it, it kind of got in there anyway, you know, became very interesting. And out here in California, nothing's very old. I mean, ar architecturally, nothing's very old. So it's, um, it's not nearly as, um, interesting to me in that way that New England was. Fascinating. That is, yeah. Yeah. And as, as somebody who myself has a fascination with architecture, and then of course, you know, when you get the told history right that that's fascinating as well i like i like stories and 
wherever the stories come from, I have a fascination with them. And so then moving back to Ohio, did you, did you get into it? Like, I know you said that you, you know, were maybe a little bit snobbish when you first got there. How did you come to find this love for it? That's a good question. Um, I remember the first day we were there, we were downtown. And it's funny because Worcester's a lot bigger than the town we had lived in in Wilton. I mean, the town Wilton that we lived in in Connecticut. Um, and like a lot bigger. Um, but we were downtown in the Central Square and there's one big Central Square in Worcester where there's like the town, the, the courthouse and there's, you know, one big stoplight and that's it. That's the town square. It's very, you know, Midwestern, um, small town thing you know it's very it, it's 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 beautiful but when i was what 12 or whatever then my dad said this is it this is downtown and i thought oh my god this place is horrible i can't believe we moved here it's so boring but over time i really began to love um there's a college there the college of worcester and um since i left there's all these other things that appeal to me so much now that weren't there when i was there like um there's a uh, indoor outdoor farmers market called um Oh uh, gosh, what's it called? I totally just based on the name. Um, Local Roots, which is amazing. It's like a co-op. It's and there's another co-op also downtown, and there's a Unitarian church. All these really cool progressive things that were totally not there when I was there. But I did spend a ton of time at the college, even though I was like a junior high school student. We I always had a big sister, international student who was from the college because we always sponsored somebody, and I would always go stay with her. And I got like all this exposure to college stuff when I was like <laughs> thirteen and fourteen. Oh. <laughs> it was really fun. That's incredible. Okay, tell me a bit more about that. Like, you're you're a kid and you're being exposed to this older kid stuff, right? The big kids, right? What what did that teach you? Or was there any particular interesting experience that you kind of keep in the back of your mind? I think when I think about it, mostly I think of this house that is gone now because the way colleges do, they're always tearing down the the you know the off campus houses people had fondness for and putting up a big alumni building or whatever, you know. So it's gone now. But it was I think it was called Monier House, maybe I think so. And um, I stay there with my big sister Audrey a lot. And I just remember getting to like um, kind of sleep there, you know, overnight, have a lot of overnights there with her and her college friends. And I saw, you know, girls with boys, you know, going in their rooms and things that I was like, wow, that's big, you know, like, wow, big kids, you know, like, you know, just getting exposed to like real life and not in any inappropriate, scary ways, which is great because that could happen, but it totally didn't happen. I was very safe. And, um, Gosh, I remember making a big congratulations sign for somebody in college, somebody's friend, because she did something or something happened, and I spelled it wrong because I didn't know how to spell congratulations. I was like, because <laughs> I was just a terrible speller. Um, and I remember there was a a utility box or some kind of. It was like an empty box. It was just inside the front door of the house. And it was like, it looked like it used to hold like a water meter or some, some kind of meter. You'd open the little, um, it was wood. It was like built into the wall. You'd pull open the door and there should be some kind of something in there that would do something. But it was empty. And so we didn't know what it was. And somebody put a sign on it that said box of rain. And I just thought like, so cool, the box of rain. She lives in a house that's got a box of rain, you know, like it was just like the cool big kids place. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. So th this kind of, I don't know, like, I can see how these kind of things, how these kind of experiences, these exposures to different ideas and different types of people and stuff 
might turn you into creative people. Because I, I look at you, I talk to you, and I see a very creative person, right? Somebody who is making these efforts to create things. And so w would you say that that was kind of a, like a, a fostering environment for that? When I think of creativity, I tend to think more of having gone to Montessori school when I was very young, ages three to five. And my mom um, started Montessori in Worcester herself once we got there. She sent me to Montessori in Kentucky and then later started the Montessori, you know, the thing in Worcester. Um, but, and also the College of Worcester had a summer rep company, still does, called the Ohio Light Opera. Interesting. Which is a, um, a Gilbert Sullivan and, and early operetta uh, repertory company. And that I got really involved in. It was there every summer from ushering to costuming to I got uh, to do a couple roles on stage at the end. So like that was an incredible, incredibly wonderful community of singers and as the singers and dancers, singers who also danced and singers who also acted, you know, worked there and were amazing. And they were my models and my mentors. And summer was where it was at for me. But I've never really thought about getting to hang out with the college kids as being part of that. And I think it was because it was a lot of freedom, even though we weren't doing creative things, quote unquote, um, there was a lot of freedom and a lot of room to explore in that realm. And just to go bowling. I mean, the College of Worcester had a bowling alley on campus, which I thought was the coolest thing ever. And we used to go bowling, you know, on the weekends with my big sister. That's really rad. That's just, it's, I like how you brought up the the freedom that, that came with this experience, the opportunity to explore. And I'm curious how that, how that thread, how that idea of exploration has continued to today as we move closer to your present in what other ways have you explored the the world and your own creativity and freedom? That's a good question. And it sort of brings me back to something I think I might have said in our pre-interview or I was thinking of recently, and I'm not sure when I said it, that, oh, you asked me about my past self. And I was remembering about how being in school was so nurturing because there was like a dance center and there was a dance troupe. And I once I got to be part of it, there were dancers and I could, you know, put together a piece and we could perform it maybe if we got lucky or if, if it was the right time of year, right? Like there was all these materials were right there. And then in the real world, quote unquote, it was like, oh, we got to rent dance space or got to have somebody who's got a big apartment, you know, and then you got to dance around the furniture and then you got to find people and you probably got to pay them, you know, and like so different, right? So I think my experiences at school were like these labs, right? And getting out into the real world has been a challenge in that way for me. And I think one of the things that popped to my mind when you asked me that question was performance art, which is something I'm passionate about, even though I don't do, really don't do it, even though I play with it a little bit. And I saw a woman do a piece in San Francisco when I first got out here to California, and I don't know her name. She was a friend of a friend. And I won't describe the whole piece because it'll take a while, but it it was done in a, a loft, like an old, you know, um, a really old big space in San Francisco. And she had fallen through a hole in the floor and had broken lots of the bones in her body on the concrete below and her performance piece was climbing up a really rickety ladder back up through that hole with all of us watching her which was absolutely terrifying because the ladder was so freaking rickety and but that was like her way of healing this trauma this incredible trauma that had happened to her and and that performance captured me so captivated me so much because 
she was using it for healing. And so now, whereas I came up with like the Ohio Light Opera and like being a dance troupe and, you know, theater and Romeo and Juliet and all these sorts of things that were like canned, if you will, performances and not really for healing, they're more for creative expression or, you know, um, cr well, creative expression as in I'm going to do that play now and go act or go dance. But I've really been drawn to creativity as a, as a healing modality. That's my long way of saying that. <laughs> Hey guys, Future Alex here just popping in at intermission to once again recommend that you check out Broken Bulbs. It's another great podcast from me at Mecco Radio. I have a ton of fun doing it and have interviewed a ton of incredible people. If you want, there is a list on Podchaser of the best Broken Bulbs episodes. That's a great place to start. Or you can always just go and listen to the latest episode wherever you're getting your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Before this conversation, actually immediately after our previous conversation a few days ago, I listened to your podcast, Shame Pinata, and specifically I listened to the one where you talk about uh, your self-marriage. Is that like an accurate way to, to phrase that? Mm -hmm. and, and you talked a little bit about performance art in that episode and how much symbolism there was to you about making that commitment to yourself. You are the, the first person I've interviewed who, who has married themselves. Would you mind taking us through that a little bit? Maybe like the idea behind it? Because I thought it was really awesome when we talked about it before. Yeah, sure. Um, I've never heard of uh, a guy marrying himself. <laughs> <laughs> now, not, not that it hasn't happened or it couldn't or certainly that it shouldn't, but I think it's kind of more of a women's or a femmes thing at this point and definitely shouldn't only be that. But I think it is um, a way that one can say, you know, there's this whole thing. There's this uh, back and forth in life. Am I going to find a partner? Um, am I going to keep a partner? You know, um, is my partner going to treat me as well as I deserve? All that stuff, right? And so it's like, it's a way to feel secure that regardless of what other people do, like, I've got this, you know, I know myself, I love myself. And now loving oneself can be a very long journey. And I've had my lessons with that too. So I don't mean to make it sound easy, right? Um, there's all those little things that we can really hate about ourselves or get mad at ourselves for, have grudges or whatever. But there can be a place, I think, for everybody where we can find those those eyes in the mirror. And this sounds really hokey, but that those eyes in the mirror can be like a home and can be like a, you know, a connection and a, a safe place. And so kind of building on that idea, um, the idea of self-marriage um, uh, is that, you know, I'm marrying myself and I know um, committing to myself first. Um, so that's that, that's kind of the idea. And then in terms of execution, it's just whatever feels right to the person. Um, I had done a self-marriage a long time ago where I bought myself a ring and I had it engraved and I wore it. And then it kind of faded and I kind of, it wasn't a, it was needed at the moment. It was important at the moment, but it didn't kind of stick. But then this ceremony that I did six years ago um, was very <laughs> elaborate <laughs> and um, took a lot of planning and is still totally with me. Um, I describe a lot in that episode of the podcast. It's called My Self-Marriage. Um, I have a ring. I did a ring. Um, 
I uh, wrote myself vows. I based my ceremony on the concept of the chakras because that's part of my spiritual practice. And so I wrote vows for each chakra. And I also had a, I call them a chakra goddess, a, a woman who was like a mentor at the level of each chakra um, who kind of worked with me a little before the ceremony um, and then was there to present what to have me take my vows. So like my fourth chakra vows I took with my fourth chakra goddess who was wearing green. <laughs> it's very, very rainbow oriented. And then the, and then the ring is a rainbow and, um, and uh, it all sounds so ho hokey, but it's, it's actually very meaningful. And the ring is a very nice meditation because when I wear it and I go through and I can say, I have like a master vow for each chakra. So I, there's like redstone and I like you know, recite the master vow in my head, and then I turn the ring, and then there's an orange. Stone. So it's like this eight, because I did eight. There's this eight part meditation that really helps me to center, you know, every morning. And then whenever I'm in a sort of a stressful situation, I can just, you know, it's, it's like a point of coming back to self, recentering. I really like that. And, and I loved listening to the episode and highly recommend everybody, like, even if they don't subscribe to your podcast, like go and listen to that episode because I thought it was really, really interesting. And you mentioned how it, you know, it, it might sound kind of hokey or whatever, but at the same time, you've got me thinking that, yeah, of of course, you know, all symbolism sounds kind of hokey when you strip the meaning from it. And I think that's that's the big thing is that there is this deep meaning for you, this idea of commitment to oneself and commitment to caring for oneself and like you said having you know that home in in the eyes in the mirror and and kind of taking care of yourself that way so i i just thought it was such a fascinating uh fascinating concept and you mentioned in that podcast episode too how people can have that commitment in different ways right it might just be a ring or they might do a whole ceremony with, you mentioned you were wearing uh, like a large wedding gown for it and you have these chakra goddesses and, you know, you go through this whole process. And, and I think the idea is that it's individual, right? And you do it your way to provide that, that meaning for you, right? And yeah, yeah, I just thought, I just thought that, was, that was really cool. And I guess my next question would be, in what ways day-to-day, uh, because -day, you said this was six years ago, in what ways day-to-day -day, um, do you show your, your, that, that commitment? You mentioned the meditation in the morning, but what, what things do you do throughout the day to make sure that you are you know, committed to yourself? Mm, thank you for that question because it, I wish I was doing more, and yet I do feel still very connected to myself so I must be doing something right <laughs> I mean I have um have the ring and I have my vows up on the wall where I meditate every morning um and um I don't actually wear the ring every day because it has these stones that you know um I'm sort of protective of so I kind of you know have it have it around um it's one of my possessions that moves in and out no, actually, it stays out. I was going to say it moves in and out of my fire grab bag because I live in the forest fire area, but uh, wildfire area. But it doesn't actually. It's the. Th I guess I have three tiers. I have things 
that um, are day to day things and then things that live in the fire bag that I go, where is that special? Th oh, <laughs> and then I have things that I just know are like so important that I'm, I need them at my, my you know, my phone and all that stuff. Like that's not going to go in the bag. That's going to be with me. So the ring is around always. Um, you know, I don't think I even have a very good answer to that. Um, other than, um, I don't know, I guess sort of a silly answer would be that the, the podcast, um, is, is the thing that I do to, sh to show that I believe in myself and I'm willing to put myself out there. And I get to spiel a lot of the things I think, which is weird because I wasn't going to do that with the show and ended up kind of doing that. Um, and honestly, probably the only other thing I would highlight is that, as I mentioned, performance art is important to me and I'm like deathly afraid of doing it badly. Um, but I have a little uh, um, practice called performance art sketches where I'll get usually my husband to give me a random a phrase or I'll pick one out of a magazine or somehow get something randomized. The last one I picked is called um, The Day After Her Encounter with the Alligator. And so having these little phrases, my job is to work up some kind of simple performance art sketch that's like low pressure, going to be performed in front of like maybe just my husband or a friend, like in no way public <laughs> and allow me to play with the modality of like, what is this piece? What is this? What do these words bring up in me? And and I there it's not usually the big personal revelation. It's just like what is what's evoked for me with this phrase, and then how do I bring that to life and share it with you, you know? And so that's a practice that I have um, with the performance art, which is which is really a commitment to myself to do that. Yeah, yeah, and it's a commitment to that creativity that you fostered over the years, and. Yeah, I know on most podcasts, people wait till the end to plug their podcast. But while we're kind of on topic before we get, jump into kind of the future and then the end of the podcast, would you mind telling us about your podcast and, and filling everyone in on where they can find it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for this opportunity to talk about it. Um, it's called Shame Pinata. Shame as in there's nothing to be ashamed of and pinata as in pinata um, and it's available on you know all the players um, and at shamepinata.com and um, it is um, about creating rites of passage for real life transitions the idea is that we have transitions in our lives that there are party decorations for and that there aren't party decorations for and the ones that there are party decorations for we tend to believe we have to do them a certain way such as weddings, but we can actually do them however we want. And so I do a lot of encouraging of people to make, you know, own that thing, make that thing yours, make it as satisfying as possible for you and whoever's involved. And the, then the, the, the non-party decoration um, uh, events are, the idea is that every single transition we go through, um, some will be small, some will be big. And the big ones are worthy of, um, taking the time to really honor them, whatever it needs, you know, um, taking a few minutes to ourselves with something from that to having, marrying ourselves in a huge ceremony and then having a honeymoon, <laughs> you know, like um, it's totally fine to go off book and it's totally fine to honor um, the ways we're changing because those are really important moments where a lot of emotion can be moving and ceremony can help create a container to hold the really strong emotions. I like that, like that last phrase you just said, the ceremony can create a, a container to for those emotions and a, a way to express them. And and I like how, you know, how, how you make the point of making these 
events, these ceremonies, these moments personal. Uh, because there are certain cultural expectations, you know, each culture has its expectation of what your wedding will look like, right? <laughs> I know so many girls who say, oh, well, I'm doing this because, you know, my mom wants this big wedding and whatever for me. And, and I think you have to find a way to express yourself through these, through these moments. So I, I really, really like that and highly recommend your show. I'll have links for it in the show notes. But for the last, I don't know, five minutes of the episode here, I want to look at your future. What are your hopes and dreams going forward? What do you want to accomplish or see happen in your life? Well, um, I really love living in Northern California, and I'm really hoping that the climate crisis gets better because, well, because in general, right, of course, but I really want to stay here. <laughs> and and the, the, the smoke and the challenges with the environment have been really hard um, on everybody. And, um, and I'm particularly affected by the smoke. So I think, I don't know if that's a personal goal. I guess it's a personal goal, you know, I do what I can and then just really would like to stay here because I really love it here. Um, and also, I just want to keep, I, I really would like, um, on a personal level, I would really like to keep exploring uh, performance art and get a little bolder and maybe do some things that are not just for my immediate friends. Yeah, that would be, that would be really interesting. Is there like a, I know, you know, nothing about performance art. Is there a big performance art community out there? You know, I, I almost found out because I was going to do my podcast about performance art and I was going to in, uh, you know, um, I might start another one where I start interviewing performance artists because I really don't know that many people uh, or really any people, well, that many people who do performance art. And I really like to know more people. Um, when I proposed that idea to the audio coach I was working with, she said, oh, but you keep telling me great stories about ritual. So that's how I, I did the, the turn to, to doing the Shane Pinata about ritual. Um, but I, I want to find that out. I want to find out what the performance art community is and uh, find them and work with them wherever they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's always fun to explore, you know, say, oh, I'm into something. I was having that conversation with a friend. I thought well, I'd love to, you know, go out hiking a little bit but I don't know who to hike with. Oh, we'll join a, you know, a hiking Facebook group, right? You know, there are these groups out there and I guess we just have to have to find them out. Um, well, with that, I have one last question and I ask this to all of my guests and I, I'm pretty sure you've listened to an episode before, so you, I'm sure you know what's coming. And the question is, at the end of your life, when you're looking back on everything you've accomplished up till now, everything you're doing now and everything you're going to, accomplish in the future what are the things you think you'll be most satisfied with and proud of i think the thing that's most important to me besides really showing up to love the people in my life um and this is part of doing that is really living a life in integrity being fully myself and noticing when i have adopted um habits that have, have been designed to keep me safe you know, and not let me be my my true self. Um, there are times when, you know, can't just walk around being your full self in certain instances, um, certain situations, right? But in general, I want to on the whole, <laughs> live a life of integrity, um, be fully myself. Um, 
And then another one for me is really honoring body wisdom. Um, I have a body that talks to me about a lot of uh, complaints, has a lot of pains and sensitivities and um, feels like it's quote unquote betraying me a lot, you know. Um, but I really strive, always strive to reframe that as a, as a teaching, you know, as, you know, the body is, is telling me that I need to slow down. In fact, quick tangent, I had a kitty cat for years, for 18 years, who was really hard to live with. She was very self-expressed and she was very intense. And late, much later in her life, the last like three quarter of her life, I learned that she was actually just very, very sensitive. And she wasn't just mean and she wasn't just, you know, annoying. She was super, super sensitive, which I didn't get all those years. I just thought she was, you know, annoying and making me angry. And we'd fight a lot. And so when I learned that, I thought, oh my gosh, she's just really sensitive. And then I learned how to like deal with that and love her with that and take care of her with that and respect it. And then I was like, I'm really sensitive. And I learned, so, I mean, it was this incredible learning of how, how much um, she was offering me that I was resisting, right, for three quarters of her life. And we were butting heads over. And then it was such a teaching for me. And so much of that comes from my body. My body is being a pain or whatever, literally having pain, you know, and it's like, okay, actually, this is, this is actually good. I have to just shift my mind, you know, and let this settle and be a teaching. I like that. I like that, especially the term you used, body wisdom. I'm going to, I'm going to tell my mom, I'm not sure if she's heard that term, but that goes along with a lot of what she believes in as well. So I think, I think, yeah, that's excellent. And, and I really appreciate you sharing sharing this and sharing the, you know, your whole life story, you know, as small as we can <laughs> get it in, in a half hour. But I, I appreciate that and just want to say thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun talking to you. And thank you, not just for listening to and supporting the show, but also for listening to the people around you. Remember to make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.